America's enemies abroad pose a significant threat to American life, but threats here at home stand to tear down foundational principles from within. Whether it's disregard for freedoms of religion and speech or coercion from big tech and other movements, Secretary Mike Pompeo says increasing power in the hands of a few put America at great risk, and the current intensity calls for immediate action. Here now is CAP President Kathy Herod with Secretary Mike Pompeo. Welcome to Engage Arizona. Um, today's podcast features um, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Um, many of you are familiar with Secretary Pompeo. He was, of course, a West Point graduate, first in his class, I believe, Harvard Law School, businessman, and a congressman, and, of course, in the Trump administration, CIA director and Secretary of State. Um, welcome to Engage Arizona. Um, well, I guess I, you said to call you Mike, so I'll say Mike. Do, do call me Mike. And, and Kathy, thank you so much for having me on. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Well, and, you know, looking back on, you spent all four years in the Trump administration between CIA and Secretary of State. And when you look at that body of work, what do you say is your most significant work or accomplishment or victory that you saw during that time as, well, probably as Secretary of State? Well, Kathy, you know, it's always hard to choose among your favorites. Uh, the, you know, the, the big picture was that we, we came into office with an administration that had as their marquee feature of their foreign policy, uh, leading from behind, right, a, an apologetic America. And we, we flipped the switch on that. We, we put America first. We made, we made being proud of the things we do and the good that we do, not only here at home, but around the world at the very top of our list. And the result of that was we, we had newfound respect around the world from our friends and newfound fear from our adversaries. And, and that led to a whole bunch of things that I think will, will prove important. And we, we, we calmed the tensions with the North Koreans. We began to confront the Chinese Communist Party for the first time in 40 years. And then we built up these truly historic agreements, four such agreements. We called them the Abraham Accords between Gulf Arab states and Israel. Uh, These peace agreements were historic, each one of them, and four of them together was truly a game changer for the Middle East. Uh, I guess lastly, I'm really proud of the work we did on religious freedom. President Trump was the first president to speak at the UN at at a religious freedom symposium. We made it a real hallmark of what we did around the world to protect people like the Uyghurs in China and the Christians that are being persecuted in Nigeria and around the world. We put that religious freedom at the top of our agenda, and it, it made an enormous difference. I, I think each of those things flowed from an understanding of who we are as Americans and the good that our nation can do around the world. So is the, of course, the obvious next question is, is the Biden administration unraveling all of that and, le- I think, leading from behind again? Well, it, it's early, but it sure looks like it. And thematically, really a couple things jump out at me. First, uh, President talks about going back, right? He says America is back. And I think what he means is back to what we were doing for those eight years. It's not good for security in America. The, the second thing, as I see the foreign policy team traveling the world, and, and indeed the president himself, as they've put climate change at the very, very top of their agenda, they're willing to sacrifice an awful lot for ephemeral promises on reductions in carbon output from countries around the world. You, you saw it, Kathy, clearly. When President Biden went on his first foreign trip uh, to Europe and then met with uh, President Putin, 
His very first stop was with America's servicemen. He was with a bunch of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. And he looked them in the face and said, the biggest security threat to the United States is climate change. But I'll tell you, if you're a young American, some young lady who's 19, 20, who enlisted in the United States Army or the U.S. Navy, to have your commander-in-chief tell you that your work, the work you're doing to build out a strong deterrent in terms of military power, that the, the greatest risk isn't something you're working on, but something some chemist or physicist or scientist is working on some way or some green group, it's got to be just disheartening. Uh, I, I think this won't serve us well. I think it puts America at risk. You mentioned the Abraham Accords. Obviously, we've had a change in the leadership in Israel. Um, I think you've written recently that um, Netanyahu, that the new successor, Bennett, is not going to be that different. Speak to that a little bit. I mean, how, how concerned should we be about the leadership change in Israel? Yeah, it's a fantastic question and a very important question for every American. The relationship between the U.S. and Israel is important. It's important for historic, biblical reasons. Uh, all three faiths come together in this special place in Israel and Jerusalem. Uh, but it's also important for America's economy and our security. They, they, there are a couple of things that will absolutely change. Uh, the first one is that the way the Americans interact with Israelis will change. We were full-throated in our support for Israel and its right to defend itself. We never hesitated. You did, I didn't need guidance from President Trump when something happened to put out a statement that says we support Israel's right to defend itself. We knew this was the moral thing to do, the right thing to do for America as well. Uh, that's changed. It's, it's, a, it's a much less enthusiastic relationship than the one that we had. And that's on our side. On their side, they've changed leaders too. Uh, Prime Minister Bennett knows about Israeli security. He was the Minister of Defense there. So he understands the security imperative. But he is he's working with a coalition that spans from, like it'd be like the American Freedom Caucus to the squad, all trying to govern together. That's going to prove incredibly difficult. I, I think on security issues, they'll be fine. But on the broader set of issues, I think it'll be very confusing, very difficult to them for them to make decisions and stick with them. I, so I think the government itself will prove fraught. One thing that I, I greatly respect about you is that um, you're staying in the fight and that sometimes when people leave office, they don't stay in the fight. But you did, gave a recent speech where I, I saw that you said that you're staying in this important fight that we are all in for the soul of our country. What um, the soul of our country. Just share I mean, your heart about that, because I think, I think it's encouraging to see someone of your stature that you are staying in the fight and, and you're concerned about the soul of our country. Yeah, most, most folks who are, are former secretaries of state uh, didn't, didn't stay in this fight before they came. I've been at this now, goodness, Kathy, what did we decide? 30 years, something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to admit how old I am, I suppose. Uh, it, it matters too much. What I see happening in the United States matters too much. My wife and I, when we saw that uh, we weren't going to have four more years to serve the Trump administration, we said, nope, we're not going to walk away from this. We've, we've invested too much. And frankly, the challenges are still great. And we still we have a son who's engaged. We hope we have grandchildren one of these days that the Lord will bless us in that way. So we're going to stay in it. So what does it mean? We, we see it everywhere. We see it with this administration's refusal to protect the unborn. We see it in the challenges they present to uh, those of us who understand America as a Judeo-Christian nation, right? They try to undermine these core institutions. That's really what the cancel culture is about. And then lastly, 
it's it's been you know we we use this term critical race theory, but it's it's worse than that <laughs> in our in our schools. If if we don't get education right, if we don't restore the understandings that we've had in America about the things we're going to teach in our schools, individual responsibility, human rights, uh, the, the the things we all know, American history as a as a nation that was founded in the most noble tradition of any country I know. I, I've traveled the world. There's no nation that has a founding that is remarkable as ours and that we've clung to for all of these years. And, and there are those who are trying to teach our kids that we should walk away, that somehow our founding was racist or misguided. Uh, if we lose that, that's, that's the guts. That's the soul of America. That's at the center point of how our republic stands. Our founders knew this. We all know this. If we, if we walk away from this fight, if we're, if we're unprepared to defend the most important American values then the progressive left will have a chance to undermine this Republican. We can't let that happen. I'm confident that Americans won't let it happen. And I'm going to find whatever place I can to make sure and stay in this fight, to make sure that this soul of our nation, the center point of our nation remains strong. How do we reach the younger generation? Do you mention your son being engaged and the hope for grandchildren? I think many of us, certainly in our generation, are, are concerned about how are we going to reach the younger generations with those American values, what's the founding principles? So it's a challenge and it's one we have to take on. It means, it means folks like me have to go to high schools and to be willing to talk and meet them right where they are, whether it's at their after school event or at their church group event, wherever we may find these young people in their work lives, uh, the beginning of their work lives, we have to go find them and reach out to them. I, I'm convinced and I've seen some of this. I'm convinced the, these young folks get it too. They, they understand that this, this pendulum has swung way, way left and that the ideas that are being pushed on top of them, right? They, they like freedom. They like their privacy. This is a government. This is a, a, an administration that is uh, denying them privacy by allowing uh, the big tech companies to take in information that they ought not be taking in. And they're watching those same companies engage in activities that deny the freedom of speech. I, on college campuses all across America, it has always been the mantra, every voice heard, right? Freedom of speech. Uh, the left has put this at the center of their arguments for years, and now they are walking away from that. Uh, I, think, I think our kids are dying for the structure and the support that conservative ideas can provide. And I think if we are fearless in speaking about it, listening to their views, hearing them out, and then making the case for why our ideas are right, why uh, the things that you and I have, have worked on all of our lives are so important to them and to their futures. If we do that, if we're honest about this and we are fearless in the way we speak and we do so with love in our hearts, I, I, I think people of every age, and that certainly includes our, our next generation, will welcome these ideas. You mentioned the threats posed by big tech. Uh, I'm not sure people are realizing what those threats are. I mean, what do you see as the as what's going on with big tech and then how to rein it in. So the first one's easier. The problem identification is easier than the solution here. Uh, we've allowed this to go on for a long time. The, the, look, the problem set is manifold. There are multiple pieces to it. The first is we now have permitted such power to accrete in a handful of companies, maybe three or four American companies and a handful of companies around the world. And they get to decide who, what you see and, and who you see and what you hear. I mean, to, to, to whatever anybody thinks of President Trump, progressive left, uh, never Trump, or it, it, whatever you think of President Trump, a former president not being permitted 
to engage in the communications channel like Twitter or Facebook, that's, that's an awful lot of power to be held in the hands of a single individual or a board of directors. We have to rethink how this, is, this power is allocated so that we can get every voice heard. You know, the second piece is these big tech companies have the capacity to conduct influence operations. They, they wouldn't think about it that way. But just the way they rack and stack and sort influences the kinds of things people see. And so they can, for example, not let us read about the fact that maybe, just maybe, this virus came from a laboratory in Wuhan. This affected me and my operation. We, we talked about the fact we believed that it came there. We laid down the evidence that we could. And this was scoured and scratched from communications inside the United States. That's too much power. We have to find a way to rate it in. We have to, whether that's by regulation or by forcing opportunities for other companies to join them to increase the number of voices, we have to make sure that just a handful of American companies don't dictate the kinds of things we can see and say and hear. Do I have an accurate uh, story? I think I saw that recently that the on the Wuhan lab that we actually had government federal funding from the United States to that lab? That's correct. Uh, that for many years, there were federal taxpayer dollars, if I'm not mistaken, grant money that went from the, our National Institute of Health here in the United States to that laboratory. There are still a lot of unanswered questions about it. Uh, why was it there? Look, one theory is that it went there to try and help them make the lab more safe. That would be a, a worthy project. I hope that's what it was really for. But I've also heard that it went for a kind of research that was difficult to perform here in the United States. And perhaps there's a chance they were just trying to outsource that. I hope whatever uh, purpose it was intended for, that everyone can now see this was a, a mistake, that this was a laboratory that didn't have safety practices that were adequate. We know now, too, that they were conducting military research at that Wuhan Institute of Virology. We don't know if that's at all connected to the virus itself, but not the kind of place that U.S. taxpayer dollars should be going. Uh, I'm confident that this is now stopped. I, I hope that it is. We worked to stop it when we were in office, and then we need to understand what we did and why we did it and make sure that what appears to have been a big mistake doesn't happen again. Well, and that goes to the concern also about the Chinese Communist Party and what they are doing and what's going on. And even you mentioned religious freedom earlier, and that was certainly something that U.S. Secretary of State stood up to the Chinese in ways that I don't think we see happening today. Well, I, I try to give the new administration a little bit of time to get their feet underneath them, but we, we were historic. President Trump and I took this on in a way that, frankly, neither, neither Republican nor Democrat presidents before had been prepared to do. We could spend a lot of time talking about the threats from the CCP, but two, two ideas I think are most relevant. First, you know, I talked about the challenges in our schools and at home. Those are the things that can truly undermine who we are as Americans and tear down the essential institutions here at home, our churches, our families, those things that are the, the backbone of the United States. The only external threat that can do the same thing is the Chinese Communist Party. They have the scale, they have the size. In fact, they clearly have the intention to be at the very least politically coercive here and we can see the information operations they're running against us here in the United States as well. I, I pray that this administration gets this right. This is not remotely partisan. This is about a 
communist entity. And we all know, right? We've all, those of us who've been around a bit saw the Soviet Union. This is about a communist entity intent upon foisting its worldview on the rest of us. What, what happens in Beijing does not stay in Beijing. They, they want to bring those ideas, those Marxist-Leninist ideas to, to shores far and distant, not only the United States, but throughout Asia and Europe as well. We have to respond to this. We have to confront it. We, we started that. There was still a lot of work to do when we left. I hope this administration will continue it. And when, and when the Chinese Communist Party punches us in the face, because they'll respond, when we take the actions that we need to take, the Chinese will see this as threatening to them. They will take actions, counteractions. We have to be prepared to make clear that our expectations are simply that they will leave us alone, that they will trade with us fairly, that they won't conduct military operations that threaten us. And to the extent they continue those things, we're going to continue to impose costs on them until they change that behavior. So you've also been a Sunday school teacher and you've um, spoke a little bit about religious freedom already in this, this um, chat, but you've also... Um, let me just say your words recently that you've written, they're so encouraging about that the United States needs a revival. We must never grow weary in our commitment to doing good. And the attacks on our First Amendment rights of speech and religious freedom threaten the very foundation of what makes America the greatest force for good on the planet. So those, I mean, those are deeply held beliefs, certainly. And just um, is that one of the things that concerns you most about what we see going on is the threat to religious freedom, certainly abroad, but certainly here in our own country? Now, Kathy, sadly, we saw it here at home, right? We, I, we, we saw it happen in our churches during the Wuhan virus, where they told parishioners they couldn't pray together, or they told congregants they couldn't gather. Uh, this is unheard of in the United States of America. This was a governmental action of extraordinary proportions to, even if just temporarily, deny us the capacity to worship in the way that we saw it. not just Christians, but people of every faith. This is a dangerous precedent. I think, I think some in government saw this as a successful power grab. Uh, we, we see, too, we watch this administration beginning to take actions that look like they're going to put the IRS again in the position to be used as a weapon against conservative groups and almost certainly as against people of faith. These are, these are dangerous things. We should not take for granted the fact that we have the opportunity here in this country so rich, so blessed to worship as we see fit, to exercise our conscience rights as we see fit. We have to get this American revival right. We have to go rebuild these central institutions, rebuild our churches, get more people to come back. We can't head down the path that Europe did, right? A big government, secular set of nations. We're, we're different from that, and it has made us better and more successful, not only more economically prosperous. That's, that's important, too. But it's, but it's made us better. It's made us better as a people. It's made our nation stronger. And this is something that I intend to continue to work on the capacity for Americans to worship as they see fit, to worship in the way that we want to worship is an absolute central feature of our nation. And if we give an inch, if we give them any room, they'll drive a stake in it and make it very difficult. I hope everyone who's listened to this today understands how precious that religious freedom is and recommits themselves to working towards making sure that in their neck of the woods, in their town, in their county, in their city, in their state, that they never give an inch when folks come to attack their ability to worship in they, the way they see fit. And I always have to point out into worship beyond the four walls of our churches that, um, that we, we who are believers know that it's to, um, to live out our faith in every aspect of our lives. And, you know, when you were in um, Arizona and spoke at a Center for Arizona Policy event a few, a while back, 
um, your message resonated. Um, there's certainly that um, people wanted to hear you speak. They were very encouraged and blessed by your remarks. And what we see in Arizona, I'm not going to call it a, a political revival, but we see people maybe more engaged in what's going on in the policy world that I think we've seen in quite some time. And so as you're traveling, obviously, all over the country these days, are you seeing that throughout the country? Is it resonating with the people that now is the time that we better all get engaged? Uh, it is. And I hope it only accelerates, Kathy. Your point's very well taken. I'm glad to hear that in Arizona as well. I think I've been to six or seven states in the last couple, three weeks. Every place I've gone, every group, there's someone stands up and says, I'd never been to a PTA meeting before in my life, or I'd never been to a, a church chili dinner, or I'd, I'd never gone over to my friend's house for a prayer group or a Bible study. I think people are engaging in those fundamental ways, in ways that they haven't for an awfully long time. I, I think they saw what happened over this past year, and now can see an administration that is inconsistent with their value set. I think they are fired up. And I think lastly, I think you can see, I think you see it in some of these parents that you see on TV who just said, no, no more of this stuff in our kids' schools. We're just not going to stand for this. I think you can see that those parents are also seeing that this work is not only important, but effective, that they're actually changing the way their school runs and how their kids are taught and how all of the things in our lives at home are working. They're going to work to make sure that our police have the money they need. All those things that for a long time, Kathy, you would know this. I'm sure you've heard it a million times. Kathy, I'm so glad you're doing that. You know, I don't do politics, but I'm glad you're doing it, right? I've heard it myself so many times. Well, I I think people saw what politics is. It's about how our lives function and how we live, and we each need to engage. And it's how we stand for our families. I mean, it's what our legacy is going to be as well as far as are we going to leave this country in better shape than we found it? And, yes. you know, when people say, if you do that survey of people in any given room, you know, is it better than, than it was? And, you know, they, they won't say they have hope that they're leaving it better for their children and grandchildren. Well, one of my favorite things that I've seen about you is this may have been a tweet that your mom told you, uh, Michael, I know you're a grinder. Don't ever let <laughs> them wear you down, wear them down. Is that upon a graduation or something? And But that this is was, perseverance. That's what it takes, right? This was when my mother was praying. I was headed off to West Point. We were in the airport in Los Angeles, and I was flying off to New York. I'd never been to New York before. And her little boy was headed off to West Point. And uh, she wanted to make sure that she gave me the steel, the, the intensity that I needed. And she'd watched me grind at my time in high school. Wasn't always the most talented at some things, but I'd always worked my way through it. She wanted to make sure that uh, I knew she was supportive of me working my tail off to be successful and to make sure that I didn't let whatever was going to confront me wear me down. And I, I, I remind people of this all the time. Not every day is a good day. Uh, not everything goes right every day. But if you keep at it, if you work, uh, the, the Bible talks about toil and work. If you keep doing this and stay focused on his word and our mission, really good things will follow. A mother's wise words. Well, share about your new endeavor. I want to make sure that listeners know how to contact you, how to follow what you're doing at Champion American Values. And you're kind of like calling the Calvary. Do I have that right? <laughs> you, you do, Kathy. So we, we've called the, the organization that I'm leading CAVPAC. It's a nod to my days as a young soldier. I was a cavalry soldier in the The cavalry's mission set was really clear. Sound the alarm when bad things are about to happen and then ride to the sound of the guns and stay in the fight to the finish. 
And so we've called it CAVPAC. Uh, it's a small team that we're putting together and it's helping me uh, do my work, get the word out. It's helping me get around to listen to folks all across the country and support other groups that are protecting life, saving families, building in infrastructure. Uh, and so I hope folks will go take a look. It's at CAVPAC.com. You can get online, you can contribute. Uh, you can see CAVPAC in action, the kinds of things we're doing. It is, it's an imperative. We're going to help candidates, not just in to take back the House, which we've got to do, and not just regain the Senate, which is a must, but we're going to help candidates in, in city council races and sheriff's races all across America, these, these places that matter to each and every one of us. So I hope folks will go check out CAVPAC and uh, ride to the sound of guns alongside me. <laughs> and your Twitter handle, at Mike Pompeo? That's correct. Yep. Kathy, thank you. And I really encourage people, especially if you're, um, if you're on um, Twitter, uh, it's, um, I, I get notifications um, for Mike's tweets and they're, they're, it's one to follow. Okay. The last question, and then we'll close this out. The question everyone wants you to answer, are you going to run for president in 2024? Well, I have been asked that once or twice before. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. You know, <laughs> but Kathy, uh, just as you know, the, the, the Lord will provide guidance for Susan and me and how, how to move forward. Uh, we're so focused. We, we've got to do this good work between now. It's just 16 months till 2022. That is our, that is our sole focus in the, in the world of getting good policies for America. Uh, we'll, then we'll, we'll turn the page in January of 2023 and we'll seek the Lord's guidance and uh, get to the right place. But no matter whether, whether that's the call or not, we're not going to walk away from this mission. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your leadership, for your commitment, and for spending some time with us on Engage Arizona. God bless you. Thank you. Bless you too, Kathy. So long. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.